This January 6, come to Los Angeles for the kind of Christmas nobody can steal. The second live filthy Armenian adventure experience, a festive Saturday night of jingle judgments, miracle cures, justice dreams, and wild white pills for the fateful year ahead. Starring warrior queen Amanda Milius, mercurial vibe doctor Benjamin Braddock, anti-woke sex symbol and civil rights prognosticator Richard Hanania, and other dear friends and surprise guests from the filthy Armenian adventure universe. We found a special new secret location for this one, a cozy historic hidden shrine to adventure in East LA. Santa will be there and you never know who else will come down that chimney with him. Doors at 7, show at 8, party till the wee small hours. For tickets, go to tiny.cc slash faatix. If you struggle with links, DM at Filthy Armenian on X or Instagram. And enjoy your conventional Christmas, your holiday, your Hanukkah, your Kwanzaa. But on the 12th night, come to the Gold Pole for the real holy deal. January 6, 2024, Filthy Armenian Adventures presents White Christmas. Uphold into Nazareth, I was feeling about a half past dead. Dude. I just need some place where I can lay my head. Hey, mister, can you tell me where a man might find a bed? He just grinned and shook my hand. You're listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures, was all he said. And uh, like a kiss being blown, we are on the air. A crossover special um, with my good friend, Glenn Rockney, co-host of The Back Wall, and also co-host of, of a non, of a sort of uh, unannounced uh, uh, offshoot podcast with Jack Mason, which is like the music version of The Back Wall, because you go on the Perfume Nationalist for every major music episode, especially rock and roll music episode. Uh, you guys have like a side, you have a, a, a spinoff working uh, unannounced and unofficial. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's true. And and it's and it's always great. And, and you know, I've been I've been talking a lot about Bob Dylan lately and rock and roll lately. This year has been a big, heavy rock and roll year, uh, starting with Griel Marcus, um, actually even and with Coachella and with everything. And like I've been really digging deep into my into my roots. And um, this is a very, I think, appropriate way to cap it off uh, with probably the best ever rock and roll documentary ever, um, ever made. Yes. Whether it's the best or not, whether, however you measure that, it doesn't really matter because it's probably the most comprehensive, um, comprehensive of the history. And I think the meaning and possibly the meaning of the, the end of rock and roll. And that is Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz, a concert documentary about the final show put on by the band um, and w w with an incredible all-star lineup of guests who showed up in, in the winterland in, was it 1976? 
77 or 78. Um, I want to say 76, um, but 76. I have to yeah. probably have. No, no, we were, it was released on 78, but I don't think that that's obviously not when the concert was. So, yeah, right. um, exactly. So that is, yes, 76, 70, 76, 76 was, was released in 78. It took a while. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason it took a while to make to probably prepare to release it is that it, it has a lot of footage that wasn't part of the concert. Um, it has performances that weren't part of the concert. Yeah. It has performances that are done, and some of the some of the best ones in the in the movie are done in a studio, in the film studio. Uh, and it has cutaway interviews with the band at their Shangri-La studio, uh, which used to be a brothel, as they inform us. It's this magical, it's a really mad I watched it twice now uh to prepare for the show. And it I mean, it's it's like it feels like I, I don't know. There's so much to say about it. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I don't even need to, I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to try to summarize it early on, but you watch this movie and you listen to these songs and you see some of these performances. And this picks up with what I've been trying to get at with my Bob Dylan um, odyssey, uh, which is that these songs are like the, these, these songs are the codification of, the entire American spirit and history. And when you listen to them and when you listen to the, to, to the way the, the individuals who, who approach them from their extremely disparate um, uh, origins, when you see, when you see how much, when you see the, the, just like the breadth and the depth of their desire to breathe life into the places that they came from and the place they didn't come from, but, but they wanted to love it just, it knocks knocks you off of your fucking feet and it makes you it makes you like desperate it makes you desperate for some sign in our present environment that such an impulse still exists and that such a love still exists for this country mhm that's it's well said <laughs> it's well said no i i've seen this movie I, I guess to call it a movie, I don't even want to call it a documentary. It's a movie to me. Um, I've seen this movie 10 to 12 times probably. And I've listened to the soundtrack. My mom raised me on the soundtrack to the movie. Uh, whenever they would come out with like a big deluxe release CD of it, she'd buy it. And it would be in the car. And my mom was was a, was a, was a band head. And pretty easy to tell why. You look at the big three guys in the band. They're all very handsome and charismatic and talented um and the but the movie scorsese you you mentioned earlier that this is the best uh music documentary of all time and i tend to agree however even if you were to argue there were other better ones they're all done by martin scorsese like he has that guy he shouldn't be making fucking what i haven't seen the new one yet so it's not fair for me to say but like he shouldn't be making these fucking three-hour netflix uh things anymore he should be just doing music documentaries we need to get the stones doc the real stones like farewell tour documentary we need things like that is what he needs to be doing right now this is the this is the best the other one i would say is the george harrison documentary that uh uh, Martin Scorsese did it was about three hours long. It's not a performance-driven documentary. It's much more of a uh, interview, uh, found found footage kind of thing. And um, but no, this this is perfect. And I think he captured the the somber, funeralistic element to all this because they're they're kind of you know Robbie Robertson especially is is quite morbid about what's happening. 
in, in oh, the whole yeah. thing. So it's so, funereal. Yeah, funereal yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. It's funereal in many regards because given the timing of its release and given the uh given the uh you know the circumstances around it given what we know now mm-hmm. 1976 was in many ways the end of rock and roll i mean there was yeah. of course there was there was the punk period that followed there's the heavy metal period there's a lot that followed that kept it alive and it's really as i as i we were talking about in the Coachella eps, it was really, you know, really the 2000s when rock and roll died, but not, not, not 1976. But if you're, you see the, you, you see in 1976, you see in that concert and in the people on the stage and the people who come through and the kinds and the, and the, the variety of music on that stage, you see a, you see a, uh, a carnival that just does not continue into the punk era. It yeah. the punk era already drowns. It begins to drown in its own ironic attitude, uh, and ironic attitude was part and part part of the rock and roll landscape uh, uh, in the sixties and seventies, certainly. But it wasn't the whole. It was never the dictating tone. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. So you know, it's impossible to imagine muddy waters coming up to, you know, in a farewell show with the pretenders, for example, um, it's impossible to imagine. And now there, there were a lot of crossovers and stuff like, I know like Nick cave was really into Leonard Cohen and, and stuff like that. There were, there were artistic partnerships of this kind. Certainly. I, I don't want to like, just like trash everything that came after 1976, but to me, and I think to a lot of people there, you could feel, I, I don't even know if they knew it yet. I mean, they could, they were so artistically, in tune with everything. This is when rock and roll was the, you know, along with cinema, same time, it, it, it flowered at the same time. I mean, cinema had this great awake, reawakening, I should say, not awakening, but reawakening in, this, in the uh, 70s and in the late 60s. Um, and rock and roll at the same time had this, had its peak. And between these two, you had the voice and the, the voice and the imagination of America being really, expressed not just dictated not just not just uh not just like commanded from the tower but actually expressed both you know from the ground up and from the top down and from the sides and from around and from up the up the snatch and from through the titties and from everywhere um and this is just it blows your mind and it's and this is this movie is a testament to that uh in every which way in the performances in the interviews and the stories in the interviews there's some chilling moments Mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of moments and there's a lot of characters and i personally feel like going like through the whole thing scene by scene um because there's just so much great stuff about it yeah you and you met you mentioned uh uh the punk aspect which is which is definitely something that a lot of smart rockers saw um saw on the horizon saw the advent of i remember uh i was we were talking about this on the rare candy where uh you know led zeppelin they they knew even even when people think like the drummer dying john bonham in 1980 is what like wrecked the band that that might have just been when they decided to call it but they all saw what was happening with like the sex pistols and stuff and they said we're not the young guys pissing people off anymore therefore shit's changing right and they didn't say it was for better or for worse 
Uh, but they knew that they were going to, you know, that then all of a sudden Jimmy Page is making uh, Death Wish 2 soundtrack, you know, uh, with just jamming bluesy guitar uh, solos and Robert Plant's doing kind of like this quasi new age stuff and uh, making albums like Now and Zen. So it's it, it's it's all of that. And Robbie Robertson did the same thing. Robbie Robertson ends up doing scores for uh, Martin Scorsese and stuff and 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 uh, really finding a second wind of his career, even third wind, some would say, uh, uh, in doing that. And then he had his own great solo records. There is one man from the, from the stage who, who managed to sustain not only his like original performing career, but all, and, and, and remain on the road, uh, to the present day. And, uh, but also sustain, I think, actually the history of rock and roll by creating new rock and roll in the nineties, in the two thousands and into today. And that's Bob Dylan. And that's why you know, I, I kind of like, I explored how he was able to do that in my Bob Dylan odyssey. Um, uh, and to the fact that he's 82 now and he's doing it as we speak and, and he's still, you know, there are, <laughs> there's still things unsaid. There are still things that he, he, he has to say that are unsaid. Um, specifically, he has yet to perform the the heavyweight piece of the Rough and Rowdy Ways album, the the Murder Most Foul. He has yet to perform that live, and one suspects he will probably around November 2024. That's my mm -hmm. guess. But I made that I made that you know I, I I will weave into that later because Bob Dylan appears toward the end of the end of the movie and yeah. end of the show. But other than that, yeah, it's it's I mean you know. There's so many things you can you can look at and be like, well, you know, Money Waters was about to die. I mean, he, was, he died in 1982 or something, 1980. Um, as they describe, and one of the chillingest stories, one of the greatest stories of the movie is when they're talking about meeting Sonny Boy Williamson, too. Sonny Boy Williamson, too, the, the blues uh, harmonica performer and singer. Um, you know, many, like, one of his, probably the, the, the song you've all heard is Don't Start Me to Talk. Uh, uh, but he's got many Bye Bye Blackbird or Bye Bye Birdie. And there's several blues hits he's done, and he's a great harmonica player. And, like, you can tell he's just, like, this titanic personality. They tell this incredible story about going to see him. And he's, and first of all, they're these young white boys. And he's Sonny Boy Williamson. And whatever, where in wherever the fuck in Mississippi that he was living, wherever it was, Arkansas, I don't remember. Um, and his wife is cooking food for them, serving them corn liquor. They're all getting drunk together. They're all having, and, and Sunny Boy Williams is just playing for them, playing the shit out of a, a harmonic for them. And he's spitting into a bucket in between, like, each, like, blow of the harp. He's spitting into the bucket, and they thought he must be, like, chewing, you know, chewing tobacco or some, something like that. And then they realize at some point that he's spitting blood. Just playing, and he's just spitting his blood out. He keeps on blowing in that harp, and uh, and then they and then they made all these plans to collaborate and everything. And a few months later, they get them all written dead. When I talk, you talk to me, oh baby. I can't do it all by myself. You know, if you don't help me, darling, I'll have to find myself somebody. Help me, help me, darling. 
there was this dream, there was this collaboration between the young and the old. This is what I will never stop loving. This is what actually got me excited about rock and roll because I was young and they were old. I mean, everything, everyone I'm listening to is way older than I am. Um, and they were way beyond, you know, like they're old men by the time I comes around to you and me. You're even younger than I am. Mm-hmm. In fact, this collaboration is between the young and old. You're young, I'm old. I'm like Sonny Boy yeah. spitting out into the bucket. Yeah, our age gap. My wife that. is going to serve you. Our age no, gap is problematic a, to an extent, and to an extent, I don't know if I feel safe. In Zoomer terms, it's very problematic. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so you've got this relationship between the young and old. You've got this relationship between the North and the South. You've got this relationship between every strain of American folk music, country, bluegrass, blues. Um, uh, all these other, you know, ter- gospel, all these other terms that, that like that, that Levon Helm at some point is rattling off. All of this is mixing together. And, and of course, this was part of what the band did is they, they, they were this like, they were like this symphonic, you know, uh, both in their writing, both in their lyrics and in their, and in their uh, performances and in their recordings, like they tried to cover the entire universe of american sound yeah. and tried to bring it all into rock and roll um and and again this is like this is this is the movie where you really get to feel what that is you know in in all in every just about every detail i mean including the including the rough stuff that is kind of unsaid but lingering in the air sure uh you know um when at the end toward the end robbie robertson is explaining why he wants to call it quits as a yeah he wants to you know and he's talking about how and of course the others by the way this was not a popular decision no the others in the band did not want to stop and this is a common common problem by the way in in bands Uh, richard richard yeah richard manuel i mean you you see richard manuel who is the you know piano player and it would say it was famous for his like falsetto they always like people would always say he was kind of doing like a ray charles kind of thing and stuff and he was kind of one of probably the most messed up out of all of them and he was just like man i don't want to stop he's like because we just we just get girls and like it's kind of like a perpetual pausing of of development to be on the road for that long the way robbie robertson was saying he's just like you find you see guys that have been doing this for 25 years you know 25 years he's like 20 is definitely my my cutoff he's like because it's just it's not a good road and i feel that as a in in the construction field like i don't see positive construction stories of guys that are 65 and stayed in the field for that long they're usually their leg limbs aren't working they have a crippling addiction they're on marriage number three uh all all these kind of things so that it was really chilling the way he said it and and robbie's just got that cold canadian cronenbergian tone to everything that that americans don't and i and i think it really like that never hit me until this next this last time that i watched it like I, i always factored that in what he was saying and always you know understood what he said but but really i think as you get older you kind of see that that sense of urgency not to be better than you are not to be more successful but to just be like i need to do something different because i will stunt my growth and probably die pretty young and and he outlived the rest of the band for the most part yeah it makes sense you could see it I mean, they're talking about so. There's a great story. I mean, we're good, we're going out of order, but that's okay. We can go out of order with the with the uh, cutaways because they're so they're mm-hmm. so important. They're talking about at some at one point. 
um, I think it was Robbie who said this, this part, he said, you know, he got an offer by, by I think Ronnie Hawkins to join, to, 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 to uh, join the band or whatever, and was told join Rodney Hawkins's band. Initially the band was, was called the Hawks. Mm -hmm. um, I guess this is when the Hawks were being formed. He says, if Ronnie Hawkins tells me, you know, the pay's not great, but you'll get more pussy than Frank Sinatra. And, and everyone lights up in the room and they're all like, you know, we shouldn't talk too much about this because it's clear that, yeah, the number one reason to be a rock star is the pussy, the pussy, the pussy, the pussy. Well, you have no idea if you're going to succeed. You have no idea right. if your life is going to be anything beyond, you know, bar to bar to bar to bar. You obviously dream of being rich and famous, but the thing, the thing you can depend upon if you're not rich and famous is the pussy. Um, yeah. And the you see everyone in the room light up. Of course, Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel is most like he's like, he's just like, oh, my God. Yeah, you know, there's no turning away for him. There's no turning away from that pussy. There's no there's nothing he can imagine that's better than that. But and, yeah. Yeah. And, and like you, you I mean, men are defined. Nobody you can't refute this point. Men are defined on their ability to attract women and to get pussy, whether that's with their looks, whether that's with their status, whether that's with their assets. That's what they're defined by. Even then, most men, if you told most men they could be rich and famous and never have sex again, they probably wouldn't. They'd probably turn you down. Like, it's right. just it's just it's like so even at that point, especially as young guys like that, young guys are just like, dude, I'm already broke. But you're already but you're telling me my, you know, the money sign puss coin is going to go up. You, I can long that. Hell yeah. I mean, and. You know, the trick becomes like when you hit your what they're, they, they look like they're in their late 30s in this movie. I would say in, in 1976 say. or something like they seem to be in their late 30s. Now they look old, you know, they look older. Some of them look older. Like, I mean, you know, Manuel looks older than the he looks like a bit of a a freak. His teeth um, are like coming out of his mouth. Like you can his see his teeth are coming gums. Out of his, Oh, yeah. He looks like a he looks an absolute like an absolute carnival freak. Uh, it's great. But it's also like, you know, you can see it's scary. And, uh, and yet, and, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, you have to have a real sense of, I mean, you either have to have a, a, a something pulling you to settle down and be a family man, or you have to have a sense of, uh, it's, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to, it's just like being an athlete. You're going to be an athlete and you're being told you have to retire at, you know, at 38, You've been getting okay now. You know, athletes can still get all the pussy they want or whatever. But what are you going to do with the rest of your life? You become a studio announcer, like you know. I mean, like it's a different. You if yeah. you're responsible and if you're cool and if you're chill. A lot of athletes have like seventy five kids by that point, so they're gonna you know they have to like think about that. They can make the adjustment. Um, if you have that kind of background as an athlete, a lot of athletes are religious, so you have a you have a you have like a backdrop. You have something to fall back on just in, in your spiritual, in the spiritual sense. Like you can see yourself slowing down. You could see yourself uh, having an easier life because also just it's so hard to to be an athlete work wise. Um, but for a rock and roll musician, man, that's like that's a hard thing to switch off when you've been when you're filling stadiums and when you're getting that much pussy. It's yeah, hard. I and it's it's tough in a sense that you know it, it is similar to being an athlete because your your body breaks down a little bit. You know you'll you'll hear certain guys like they don't have the high notes the way they used to. Like I, I saw Daryl Hall and, and Todd Rundgren the other night. It's like and it's still fun. It's fun to see them, 
but but they can't hit the high notes the way that they used to. They're 70 years old, you know, and, and it's it's you're you're more so people are more just happy that you're still doing something rather than excited yeah. to see you. That's um, a sad it, fucking that's a sad it, place to be in. And yeah. if you're high consciousness, I mean, you either don't give a shit about that because you're just making you're just doing it for the money and you're gonna, you're doing it for the money. You're doing it to set up your kids and grandkids. And that's why most of them are still doing it. But to, but to be doing it with a high artistic consciousness, which Robbie Robertson has, like Robbie oh, Robertson yeah. is not the type of person to, to, to go around and be a, a Vegas act, you know, no, uh, a nostalgia act like he's not. And neither is Bob Dylan, for that matter. Like, that's why Bob Dylan kept on, you know, he was about to retire when he felt like he couldn't bring it anymore. Um, and he, and like he couldn't be he, he when he felt like he wasn't. When he wasn't uh, moving the needle, so to speak, uh, on stage, he was about to retire, and it, and and he had to have like this entire uh, religious intervention. I'm not talking about the Jesus one; I'm talking about the post-Jesus intervention, where he where he discovered an entire entirely old, like new universe of music to 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 explore on stage, and that's the only thing that can explain how he was able to embark on this never-ending tour that has taken him to the present day. I mean, I don't know of any, it's, it's not like the Rolling Stones doing their, their massive billion dollar tours. This is like, a, this is a guy going from fucking playing casinos and shit for the last 40 years. And then after playing, I mean, really he's been on a never ending tour since 76 or 74. Um, Bob Dylan has, um, mm -hmm. and, but he's been doing it in this, like, in like, like, like a priest, you know, almost, um, he hasn't been doing it in this like oh off and on big zillion dollar cash to payday type of style, but it required a, it required a it clearly required some sort of a a uh, religious a, a kind of a a, a a submission to a mission that he felt that also obviously he wanted to be on the road. I mean he he obviously had to want it. He obviously had to prefer it to staying home and overseeing the stew but uh it's like you it's a it's a hard thing to look at and it's a hard thing to look at to look at what happens to american history and music in the process of this disintegration um and that's what something that i think that we need to look at fucking with this movie because you just like you you just realize how much is contained in the songs like how much is is just is permanently imprinted on that uh, uh in on the on the on the 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 fucking tape and the wax of these of these songs which completely changes the way you look at america and the world from if you're if you're say somebody who doesn't know that they exist and you and you and you put it on and you play it i mean each of these songs is a history course oh um, yeah in many different ways and dimensions yeah some would say uh some would say problematic history uh, for some of their songs, oh, um, I mean, yeah, and, there, and if any history is, <laughs> if any history is not problematic, then it's not true. I mean, that's just right. Like, that's something we've learned in every sphere of the world. If any history that's not problematic, in if, according to the school marms of the moment, is not is not true. Yeah. Um, so you know, it starts with this great. It starts with a screen. It says this movie must be played loud like a text screen right a title screen that says that and then 
we were we we open in on a on the pool balls set in the set on a pool table. This is one of the best opening shots, maybe in all of Scorsese's career. Okay, Rick, what's the game? Cutthroat. What's the object on it? Object is to keep your balls on the table and knock everybody else's off. And that's it for the free portion of the show. To listen to the rest of the two-hour and 20-minute exploration of the death march of rock and roll, the funereal elegy of the band, um, and possibly the greatest rock documentary ever made, subscribe to the show at Patreon, patreon.com slash filthyarmenian, to join the enlightened society of rug merchants, cigar singers, and oligarchs of the night who keep the lights on at Filthy Armenian Adventureland and maintain this travel agency for the soul. It's Christmas time, and your support is greatly appreciated and considered a real, real sign of encouragement for me to continue this uh, unorthodox mission. And I do hope to see you on January 6th as well, if you're anywhere close to L.A. or can make it out here. I know people are becoming from New York, from Louisiana, from Virginia, from all over. It's going to be a really great night. Um, tickets at tiny.cc slash F-A-A-T-I-X, T-I-X. Or, of course, you can DM me if you struggle with links. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful Christmas, a wonderful New Year, and then uh, an even better white Christmas on January 6th. See you on the other side of the paywall.